Hi everyone and welcome to an extra special Mop Up Duty Banish to the Pen podcast dedicated to Stranger Things. I'm your host for the day, Tyler Baber, along with uh, Banish to the Pen and Effectively Wild pseudo-celebrity Tim Livingston and uh, somewhat frequent guest Chris Baber. Hi Tim, hi Chris. Hey. Hey Tyler, how are you? Doing well, doing well. Uh, so, guys, um, we're here to talk about the Netflix original series Stranger Things, uh, which you all have seen, right? Yes. <laughs> all right. Yes, very much, very much, yes. So, we'll introduce ourselves, maybe say, you know, one or two things that uh, you're really excited to cover on this episode today and um just after that spoiler alert anyone who hasn't seen the show why did you download a podcast about it go watch <laughs> the show and then come back um so tim why don't you start your, with your introduction where uh listeners can find you and yeah. a few of, th- of your favorite things about the show um so i'm on twitter at mr tim livingston uh instagram to facebook i'm always in the effectively wild uh, Facebook group when I can be making pithy comments and inside references that maybe four people get because they were affiliated with the Stompers. Um, outside of that, uh, right now I'm getting my master's in business analytics from St. Mary's. And so once I get a few more skills under my belt in the next couple of months, I'm hoping to start up my own website, maybe do some rogue, uh, data analysis at some point and so I'll, I'll i'll kind of figure that out probably after the new year uh but as far as stranger things goes the, there's a the couple of things i'm definitely can't wait to talk about are the influences um in this show um the references are just an absolute laundry list to the point where it touched basically all of the nostalgic uh feelings uh this show has for me and a lot of really different uh, areas which which I was very very happy to see, and uh, I'm really interested to see what people think the future of this show is going to be too, which we'll get to at the end of the podcast. But those are the two things: the the, the influences and what the future uh, has for in store for this show. Those are the big things I'm looking forward to. All right, Chris. Okay, so um, yeah, I'm Chris. I'm Tyler's brother. Um, I am a also a graduate student. Um, not studying business, studying uh, school psychology now in um, central New York, in Oswego, New York, right on uh, Lake Ontario. Um, I am also excited about the same things that Tim's excited about with the with the show and what we're going to be talking about tonight. Um, also, the references, like you said, were uh, so many, almost too many to name. I mean, there's so many. I mean, we, I, we could talk for hours, I think, just about... Those. We're going to name all of them. We're just going to, that's what we're going to do. Yeah. Name every yes. single one. For the next 30 minutes, just start yeah. listing. Um, but yeah, I'm also excited to talk about um, the characters in general and just um, some of the minor characters um, that really stood out to me. Um, even though they were minor, they had pretty strong, strong roles. So yeah. Where can people find you on the internet, Chris? Oh, uh, Twitter, I guess. Um, now that I, I, now that I'm a grad student, I don't ever have time to write about anything that's not intelligence testing um, 
<laughs> which, is, which is why yeah. you're not on Facebook. Which is yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Um, I'm also on Facebook, yeah, I guess, but yeah, Twitter at cjbaber44. And I'm Tyler. Chris and I have done a couple of these. You may remember us from the X Files podcast. Um, you may remember me from the Snowpiercer podcast. Uh, you can find me at online at Tyler's Notes. Um, and you may also remember, I guess, all three of us from all of the change the name of the page posts uh, frequently on the Effectively Wild Facebook group. Yeah. I am excited to talk about everything with you guys, but I want to start with the most important question. Is Barb overrated? Tim, let's start with you. Um, so uh, Barb suffers from the usual trope of uh, a lot of TV series where someone who is of innocence, right? Someone who is basically quote unquote, trying to do the right thing, uh, falls into this weird trap of, of, uh, you know, something that she can't control, something that's out of her control. And I, I understand that, like, the whole thing is, oh, how are they going to bring Barb back? Because everybody kind of talks about that. And I don't know how many people listen to um, the, the, uh, the, 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 the Ringer podcast uh, with, uh, with Chris Ryan and Angie Greenwald, but they talk about this in Westworld where people, like, want it to be something but them wanting it to be something can kind of take away from watching in the moment. And so I, I feel that Barb, the idea of her being overrated, basically stems from like, oh yeah, she's going to come back in some fashion and be a major part of the story in season two. Um, but I don't really think of her as overrated. I just think of her as just like this, uh, this uh, I would say, amalgamation of what people expect out of um, a character of her you know, type. Uh, that that uh, archetypal character in a show like this. So I want to take a little bit of issue with what you were saying, Tim, in that I think the movement to make Barb overrated stems from my opinion that like this was a, a binge watch show. People who were watching and saw Barb's fate in episode two or three, uh, and then saw the realization of that fate in the finale a few episodes later. Um, I mean, they could have done that whole thing in a weekend or in a couple hours um, of binge watching. So the the articles, the Facebook posts, the Etsy T-shirts of you know commemorating Barb and and bringing her into like a celebrity of the show, a star of the show. I I don't think it was just you know wishing that she would be more. I think there was a a conscious knowing that she wasn't going to be more and trying to memorialize her. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that she's overrated, um, but I, I do think that there was... Because it's a Netflix show, it's not just... you know We'll get into, I guess, later whether or not these characters will be back in the same ways in season two, what we think about that. But um, I think that Barb's fate was... Uh, a reaction and the, well, the reaction to Barb's fate was to try to make her into a hero that I don't think the show tried to portray her as I, Chris try to make sense of what I just said. Yeah. Well, I think you, you hit upon it with the Etsy stuff. You missed the Banksy work of art that he put up of Barb. Um, no, I'm just kidding with that. But um, yeah, I think that she, I believed you. <laughs> I, believed yeah, I was like, it. wait a minute. That's a great insight. What is <laughs> <laughs> uh, if, if it's true, then 
great. Um, no, I, I think that she, um, you know, being the best friend, um, you know, was the one that, <laughs> she kind of just made me sad. Um, you know, she, she is the voice of reason to Nancy and then goes to this party that she knows she probably shouldn't be going to. Or not party, but you know the the yeah. It was hate. a lame party. It was a very yeah. lame party. She it was a very eighties party. We need to bring up just how eighties that party was. <laughs> Down to like, like the wood was... paneling on the wall and yes, yeah. yes, and yeah. and the culture club probably playing. And I think it was culture club playing in that ba- in the background in that uh, in that scene. But yeah, and this was a very everyone lame party. hanging out at the pool, even though it's clearly November in Indiana. What are you doing? Yeah, yeah. like, but it was heated, right? So I guess that's okay. Yeah, there, it had to have been heated because there was definitely steam coming up. And if it wasn't heated, then, geez. Um, but yeah, so you know, she shows up. She shotguns a beer to be like, "Hey, I'm cool, guys." And kind of also to point out to Nancy, this is ridiculous. So obviously, she shotguns the beer and stabs her hand. Um, but the whole scene where she <laughs> she knows that Nancy and um, um, Steve are inside. Um, doing it, and uh, she just looks so sad sitting on the <laughs> sitting on the um diving board. That that's like the only thing that really stood out to me when I watched the series, and like for her character, just how how sad she seemed. Um, there she was like a Saturday Night Live character. Like yeah. yeah. By the yeah. way, that, that's something else about this. The Stranger Things Saturday Night Live spoof was one of the better things SNL has done uh, recently. It was really, really good. Uh, if anybody has not seen it yet, you should go check that out. Yeah, I'll have to. I, I have not seen that, um, but I will definitely check that out. Um, I didn't actually know that like Barb being like a thing was a thing until like a couple of weeks ago. Um, I watched the show. Not in July, um, but, I don't know, August or September. Um, and I just kind of missed the whole Barb as a celebrity thing. Because she, you know, maybe has 15 minutes of screen time in the show. She's only in Yeah, just long enough episodes. for you to really, really, really know that she's a virgin. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. They bring that point up a few times. Which also makes this a very 80s TV show. Yeah, um, but it's one of those things where, you know, there's so many, well, I'm tra- kind of jumping into references here to other 80s things. You know, like in every 80s horror movie, the first person to die typically is the uh, female that loses her virginity. Like, pretty much most of them. Um, so I kind of, not knowing anything about the show going to it, I was like, oh man, uh, Nancy's about to get taken by that monster thing. Um, and then when Barb was bleeding, I was like, nope, never mind. Dang. Um, but yeah. 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 So I think, um, the Barb, the Barb centric centricity of the fan reaction to the show. I mean, I guess I want to, I want to jump into what that means to like just the, um, the point of view of the show as a whole, uh, especially as it relates to Eleven's character and um, and the role of female characters who aren't moms in the show as a as a whole. But I, before we get into that, I do. I mean, I think one thing you just said, Chris, uh, is an interesting point um, that you know, if you because this was a binge watch show, if you didn't watch it in 
um, when it first came out and you're listening to this podcast now, you're like, oh, hey, a blog with you know X number of readers has re- released a podcast about the show. Maybe I'll finally check it out. Maybe someone's finally convinced me this is worth my time. Um, I mean, at this point, the, uh, the reaction to the show is probably completely different for a first-time viewer than it would have been you know, when, everyone, when it felt like everyone was watching it. I knew more about Barb's fate through Facebook than I knew about any other character in the month of July when the show came out. Um, and I guess I wonder for you guys, like what, uh, what introduced you to the show? Were you there day one? Was there something that like, this is just like everybody's talking about it? And I guess where in the conversation of the show did you come in? And how did you feel about it at the time? And have your feelings changed at all since? I um I think I was about a weekend. Um, I actually I think I can check my Netflix. I don't know if Netflix has a play history like when you watch the show, um, but it, I was about a weekend because my face my Facebook timeline was blowing up with people who were kind of cultish types. Uh, you know, like the the old Carpenter, Stephen King, you know, '80s movies. Uh, and, and, and like, didn't, I don't know if they just thought it sounded cool or looked cool just because it was a sci-fi show on Netflix, but just the reaction I started hearing within the first weekend, uh, was unlike anything I'd really heard of. And this is, you know, Narcos too. Like, I mean, Narcos was something that took a while for people to really dive into, but like season two, when it dropped, everybody was going crazy, including me, but I got in about a week and I had this really interesting dynamic so i watched it and actually i take that i was a couple weeks in and i watched it because i had the stomper stuff going on and in grad school and so i didn't really watch it as a binge i watched it maybe over the course of one or two weeks but it's like i was all in on every episode like didn't like normally i'd have another screen up watching something else or, or like you know twittering away or something like that and I didn't like I was I was really into it, and my reaction was that this was perhaps the most like affected I've been by a TV show in, in quite some time, and it was because of the nostalgia, it was because of the references, and um, I just I like the idea of you know taking these tropes and and trying to put a twist on it that hadn't really been done before, even with all those references, and I thought that the fact that it stayed original while also still having that sense of um of of uh you know nostalgia really really made it a show that to me uh it was easy to see why it affected so many people like that yeah um so i didn't watch it when it first came out i i definitely heard about it because you you couldn't not hear about it if you were active on social media or especially twitter um but i I don't have an excuse why I didn't watch it in July. I really wanted to, but it just didn't happen. Um, and then when I finally ended up watching, I think I had a cold and just like stayed in and binged and then was done in a day. Um, cause I just couldn't turn it off. But, um, it, it kind of reminded me, I mean, I, I have some memories of the eighties, but I was born towards the later end of it. So it's like my memories could be false. They could be like implanted through stories that I've heard. Um, but it, it reminds me of like the, you know, TV shows we would watch on our wood panel TV um, and like just this like nostalgia that it brings up that, you know, you long for, um, or at least I long for because life kind of sometimes. 
Sucks. Simpler times. Simpler times, yes. And that right. takes me back to Barb. <laughs> um, I think people love her so much because she is one of the more, for a lot of people, one of the more relatable characters in it. You know, she doesn't have, or I don't know, maybe Because some she's people, not fun. Because she's not oh, fun. <laughs> shots fired. Yes. Um, yes, exactly. So, you know, she's got the giant, awesome 80s glasses, maybe 70s glasses, probably more 70s glasses. Well, I guess you would say she's frumpy in appearance. That's what I've heard her described as, which is just Very like... Much. Yeah, yeah, very, very frumpy. And I can definitely relate with that. <laughs> she, yeah, I think she, we all can. <laughs> she's got that uh, middle America timelessness mm-hmm. going. Yeah, yes. So. I, actually, I was going to say, I actually want to backtrack. So I watched this six weeks after it came out. Uh, that's, oh, that's, what, that's, what, that's what the Stomper season did to me, guys. Oh. It, it totally warped my sense of time. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I watched it. I started watching it the day after the season ended. Go figure. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I just, I, and I was able to look at my Netflix history and see it. So I just wanted okay. to make sure. So, yeah, so that's funny. Like all that time blended in for me. Um, but I watched all the episodes like over six days, which was very, like I said, I didn't binge watch it. Like I think a lot of people did. Yeah. yeah. It, um, made me watch like a bunch of 80 thing, 80s things, um, movies, not necessarily TV shows right. after I stopped it um it's been you know a couple years since i've seen like the goonies but um because it's i think there's no way to watch stranger things and not think of the goonies it's it, it, unless you haven't seen the goonies and if that's the case you're not going to be watching stranger well things, we're gonna but. we're gonna get into the references specifically but i think of Span- stand by me 100 percent when i when i oh, saw yeah. stranger things yeah i was gonna say it's got the um well this actually let's let's go ahead and take advantage of this um transition okay. So I think as far as references go, I mean, there's nothing original that we are going to say about what the references to Stranger Things are in terms of naming them. But I we think can I of... actually might have two things that slipped under the radar. Okay, let's, let's go for it, though. No, take okay. it. So there's two things that I haven't really heard too many people bring up, but I got this from the IMDb trivia for it, and, I thought, and it blew my mind um, uh, the, the first time. That I saw it because I, it's one of my favorite things ever, and I didn't even think about it. So, uh, back in the mid '90s, there was this Super Nintendo game called Earthbound, which is one of the like a cult classic RPG um, that didn't really sell too well in the states, but kind of had this following uh, to the point where people who wanted to find it, like as a game collector or something would be paying hundreds of dollars for it because it was rare. And there was a character in the game named Paula who had psychic powers and wore a pink dress. And I didn't put two and two together initially when they first dressed Eleven up. And then I saw that and it was it like it immediately made the show even more uh, fun for me because that's my favorite game of all time and it's not really even close. And that is a reference that... You know, people talk about the homages. Obviously, the easy ones to see are the movies and the TV shows it references. But that's a really cool, like, you know, do you think about the Dungeons and Dragons as a main thing? But I didn't think about that until someone brought it up. And it it really is something that, you know, if people are familiar with the game, that it it really kind of strikes you as something that's really neat about it. And so I, I wanted to bring that up in this podcast for sure, because I'm not sure how many people brought that up. 
uh, as something that dealt with the 11's appearance. No, that's actually, that's a, I had not heard that. Um, you said Earthbound, I was like, oh, like the uh, Smash Brothers guys. Right, but yeah, exactly. That's about, yeah, I think that certainly I would not put anything past the creators of the show in terms of reference. I mean, it's it's probably more likely that everything is a very um, purposeful homage mm-hmm. than it is that they had some some coincidence, any coincidence at all. Like, right. That seems way less likely that there's any coincidence. So that was number one. That's all right. You, good job, IMDb trivia board for, you know, outfoxing the the rest of us homage watchers. What else do you have, Tim? The, the number two. I actually think that this has been brought up before. Now that I think about it, but so and because we said spoilers, I'm going to say spoilers again, just because we're talking about Stranger Things here. So go watch it. It's been out for three months. Um, so in the last episode in in episode eight when they're trapped in the hallway of the school by the u.s um intelligence agents and 11 uses all her possible psychic powers to make the uh brains explode of the guards and and everybody that's chasing them that's not a direct homage but it references a similar uh part in uh, akira the, the great anime film from 1988 where he realizes his powers, Tetsuo does, and he is just trying to escape this place where he's being held because he found out he has psychic powers or he's been giving psychic powers. And he uses his brain to basically make the guards around him spontaneously combust and explode. And it's much more gruesome than what you see in the show. But um, that scene, like, was very visceral to me. Just because I, like, that was the first Japanese anime I'd ever watched. And I'm not really a big anime guy in the first place. But it's, like, if you know about Akira, that's basically what anybody thinks of when it comes to anime anyway. But, like, that scene, like, that that made me go crazy just because of how cool it was. And it was basically a direct reference to that for me. So, um, those are the two I wanted to bring up, first and foremost. Although, obviously, there's way uh, way more other ones that I think we all enjoyed or thought were our favorites for the show. Yeah. Well, so that second one, actually, for the head explosion thing, or the, the head exploding stuff, I was thinking scanners. but um, Right. That's that's the other one I think people have brought up, yeah, to a lesser degree also. But <laughs> I think, right, which is also way, I mean, I guess Eleven's powers are more and less visceral um, than how, it, in that she can... She's blowing up more heads, but you're seeing a less head explosion. But I think right. what you just said brings brings me to the question I wanted to ask, which is, you know, at this point, it's 2016. Um, almost all media we're consuming is reference-based and nostalgia-based. And, um, you know, there's I, 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 it seems like Netflix has developed kind of a cottage industry or at least binge-watching really um, – really lends itself to finding shows that, you know, they can release all episodes at once or over time. Uh, I guess um, Hulu's done the JFK assassination one was like released a little bit at a time. Um, but, you know, these shows, I think they, they try to get, they, they all have something in common, which is there's, there's tone or things like that that sort of try to bring you in immediately a lot of that is an homage. I think Luke Cage is an example of one that's done it really well, whereas The Get Down is an example of one from my, my point of view did not do it quite as well. Um, 
the like they they try to bring you in with some feeling of nostalgia or some feeling of hey I I recognize what they're doing I see it it's cool I want to keep watching so I wanted to ask you guys and Chris I'll start with you what do you think it is about Stranger Things that you know makes it different than any other show out there that's that's saying hey you should like me because you recognize the things that I'm trying to do you get it so that's why I'm cool what about Stranger Things is different than I guess the average episode of Family Guy or Shrek 4? <laughs> um, so I think it's the, the kids. Um, they are phenomenal actors, but, it, you know, every just as soon as you start the show, you see, you know, as I consider myself a nerd, I don't think I did when I was nine or 11, um, but, you know, now play D&D and video game all the time. You were a nerd when you were 9 and 11. (laughs) Okay, yeah. Well, I didn't consider myself one. Um, But just as soon as you start watching the show and, you know, they're playing D&D and they're super into it in their parents' basement and, um, which is a really cool basement, by the way, um, and then get on their bikes and ride home, it's, you know, while I didn't have the bike experience from my childhood because I grew up in the middle of nowhere and there wasn't uh, streets like that, um, definitely, you know, played games and stuff and goofed around with my guy friends or friend growing up or family members, whoever it was. Um, but for me, just like, as soon as I think it's the first episode where they bring up X-Men 134. Um, yeah, that's think, like the, one of the seven lines that Will has. Yeah. Yeah. They, the first... they have a lot of those type of direct references in there. Uh, yeah. Um, X-Men is the one everybody, I guess, knows. Yeah. And I think for me, I, I was a, huge still am a huge x-men fan from and when i was a kid i had comic books and cards and the action figures like the old uh toy biz action figures but um for me i think that that particular line um if you're familiar with that um that series uh i think that was a pretty big foreshadowing for the entirety of the show just just like um will be in taken by the um monster was foreshadowed in the D and D game, um, right? So, like, that's the Phoenix saga. Yeah, I was about to say, yeah, X Men One Thirty Seven is basically Phoenix, which is like yeah. the or the story arc of the X Men. Yeah, and in and in that particular one, um, the Dark Phoenix is released, I believe, and um, she ends up pinning the the bad guy, the mastermind using her mental powers to a wall, like at the end of it. And, right. Um, Direct reference. Yeah. <laughs> like and there's it's a like, panel. You can see the panel in the X-Men comic. Like people put it right next to each other. Like it's a direct reference. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing. Like going back to watch it now, you're like, Oh my God. Yeah. That's, you can, in the first couple of scenes, you can figure out how the show's going to go. If you know to watch for it. And the show's, I think really brilliant in the way that they do those subtle little things. Cause it's like some random X-Men comic. It's a pretty famous one, but it, it's still, um, for the random Netflix viewer that might not know all of the subtle pop culture references, they're not going to pick up on that. And I didn't even at first, I mean, I, I knew the ep, the series, but I, I, you know, had no idea where the show was going. So, um, Yeah. Well, so Tim, I guess uh, to put the same question and to pivot off of what Chris is saying, I mean, I think if you get all the references, then certainly there's a, like, um, you know, it's just a constant 
feeling of reward like hey i get that hey yeah i get that too right. oh man i didn't get that i can't believe i missed it oh man it's so clear now but what um you know, there there can be times when you can watch a movie or a show or something like that that or like video games especially i think will try to get as much mileage as they can out of feelings like that and mm-hmm. and that can leave a viewer at the end feeling like oh i kind of got tricked into liking that um I don't feel like Stranger Things does that, um, and I don't get the sense that any of us do. So do you have any feelings about like what makes Stranger Things d- do that exceptionally well or better than um, a lot of its contemporaries? I think a lot of it has to do with that they're not... They- People can pick up on the references. So this is the reason why Stranger Things, I think, works as well as it does is simply because of the fact that we've become a culture of referencing. We've been a culture of consuming and figuring out why people did this. Like, this is like, oh, why do they include this? What's this from? How could this be related? And it's why people, like, want to know, like... What's happening on The Walking Dead tonight, for example? What they, what can they pull to figure out, you know, what's going to happen when the bat finally hits somebody? Uh, it's, it, I think that the one thing that Stranger Things does is that it has basically created this story that, while it does reference all these things, they, it's almost like they're kind of in the peripheral of what the, they want the show to be. Like if you look, if you think about the straight line story of this, it's it's a it's a pretty you know standard story of you know mother loses son, you know mother wants to do everything she can to find her son. Friends also want to try and help the son. New person comes into the fold. You know stuff stuff we've seen before, and there's all the, all these great references. But at the end of the day, they're not slamming them in our in our face with them. They're not saying, oh, you should be thinking of this when you see this. You know, like that's why I was saying the the scene in the hallway hit me was because that wasn't necessarily the reaction they were looking for. But like, if you had seen that, it adds to your enjoyable, you know, enjoyability of the of the scene. And I, you know, I know people that didn't really understand all the references. Like my dad, he, he is a Stephen King guy, and he liked it, and he liked all you know the John Carpenter movies he'd seen. But he wasn't going in there and talking to me about what they referenced. He was talking more just about like what the tone of the show, what the 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 aura, you know, the, the that that setting of the show did, and I, you know, I understand that people are able to pick it apart with the references because there are so many, but I think the reason it works is because they're not like slamming the nostalgia in our face. It's like there's obviously really cool references, and people our age are going to get a lot of them because it's a lot of movies we grew up on, um, but I think like most good pieces of you know consumable media it's how can you reference things while staying on course with what you want to build and they did a really good job of that yeah i think um i guess to your dad's point i think the tone of the show from my point of view like it is a it is a very nostalgic tone i mean just the the idea that you're focusing on a period of of childhood like right around puberty where you're going to be, you know, that's where the the stars are, and even um, even uh, like the the sister and Steve and like the the romance, like there's a there's a feeling of you know a, a point in life where you're transitioning, growing up, and putting mm-hmm. away childish things. There's also like that feeling of okay, that's what you know America was in the '80s with like moving towards. 
um, out of the Cold War into the 90s. And that's what this generation of um, like Gen X and millennials are going through uh, right now is transitioning to another feeling of that. So I think that that tone carries through and has a has a resonance that you know it's um I mean the Wonder Years or Happy Days for you know people twenty or thirty years ago it's like oh you're only really only thinking about something that was within your lifetime, but you, it resonates in a, in a way that feels like it's meant for you and meant for something that you see. Um, yeah, this is, this, what's funny about this is like the shows you just brought up, like the reason why they're not having these types of discussions on those shows is because the, the medium to have those discussions weren't there, right? Like people were talking about the Wonder Years, like we're talking about Stranger Things, but in different ways people are talking about happy days the way we're talking about stranger things but in different ways it's just yeah. that this is more widespread this is more easily shareable and that adds to it for me right i think and i mean to to that point one of the references that i don't i don't think is a direct reference at all um in stranger things but i kept thinking about when i was watching it was freaks and geeks which is just another you know going to high school in Middle America in the eight, in the early eighties show like that. There's nothing ex- exceptionally unique about that setting or a group of outcast characters. I don't think Stranger Things was trying to have a Freaks and Geeks reference, but like that show has a cult following. Whereas Stranger Things, it it feels like a cult following, but everyone is in the cult. There's no, I mean, everyone has watched it. It's one of the most popular things Netflix has ever done. Um, so it's, it's by all virtues mainstream and, and I don't think that's to its detriment at all. I think what you just said is entirely right, Tim, like the medium for distributing this and disseminating it and discussing it is so much more sophisticated than it was when these things that resonated with a large audience or even with a small audience that just couldn't all be on the same page and couldn't watch it together the world's changed and, and we have a lot easier ways to, to talk about it four months after it came out on a podcast that, you know, is for an even more niche cult group. So that makes me want to transition then to another question, which is, you know, we all relate to it and we all, you know, we are assuming that the listener to this will also have a strong relation to the show. I mean, I know, um, you know, everyone who I've, who I've spoken with for which is like, you know, really, really young millennials I work with who are like 22 and don't get any other references to, um, you know, to Tim's dad, people who there's a lot of people out there like can get it, but the show has a a distinctly like male. And I would say even boy point of view. And, um, despite Lucas's involvement in the show, it seems like it's a pretty white and pretty middle class point of view. Um, so is there something that we all get because we are in on it? Or is there something, do you, do you guys have any concerns about that? Is that something that you have spent any time thinking about? Like, you know, what are the roles of Barb or Eleven or the female characters who seem to be in the show either to be mothers or to need protection or to be the hero who comes in and saves the day and is the girl's only girl smurf in the tribe and then disappear. Um, am I oversimplifying it? Is this to change the name of the podcast? Chris, what do you think? 
I mean, I when watching it, and this might have been my whole uh, me being a middle growing up white middle class. Um, when I was watching it, I was like, oh, I'm totally relating to all the the boys, um, you know, and their group of friends, and watching it, not thinking at all about the lack of female characters or anything, because I was watching it as like remembering my, you know, eleven and twelve year old as an eleven twelve year old kid, um, and that's pretty much how I would have remembered it. Like I wouldn't have remembered having really any female friends, probably because I thought they had cooties, but also just because I didn't have. Yeah, any remember, you're friends. on a podcast with your brother, and you just keep setting up for these slam dunks. I'm not taking yeah. them. Like, come <laughs> on, man. Yeah, I'm making it easy. Um, but I, I do think they could have made, um, like Nancy's character a little bit stronger. Um, I mean, Eleven's character, I was reading some things about people not liking the show because Eleven's character wasn't um, strong enough. And But I'm it may, this might be the whole I'm studying to be a psychologist thing. Her character's pretty spot on, and she's pretty strong to be somebody that's so damaged. Um, so if anything, like, sometimes I thought she was too strong or too talkative because um, somebody that's like that would be pretty quiet and not well developed so i thought they hit her like that nail right on the head um nancy's character i don't know she i liked her character but i think they could have developed her a little bit more um or maybe in a different direction but again i i thought the show was excellent and i really liked i think i liked all the characters um at first i really hated steve's character but then then he grew on me the more annoying he got and um yeah, but I, I think with the uh, the mother aspect of it, um, I don't really know what some people were expecting with um, Winona Ryder's character. Um, I know I read some things where people didn't like her character because, again, it's the whole strong thing. They didn't feel like she was a well-developed character. Her son just went missing. She thinks her son's dead, and then she finds out he's not dead and that, that there's some conspiracy covering up his body. Like... They, how strong do you expect her to be? <laughs> um, and I don't know. I, I think that they did a good job. I'm curious if there's a season two. I think there's going to be a season two. There's definitely um, going to be a season two, and we'll have to talk about what we think that could even mean. But I just wanted to point out, like, I yeah, I know some people who just absolutely were trashing Winona Ryder, and they were trashing it at like an acting level. They just felt like she wasn't able to pull off. I don't think the material gave her much to pull off other than the look you know, panicked, but I think that's probably appropriate for the, yeah, what no. the character was. I, th- I think that also, so this is weird, but it suffers from the same thing that people expected out of Barb. It's the idea that Barb was this really wholesome, really kind of innocent character that got pulled into all this, and she was kind of the conscience for the show. And then you look at a character like Eleven, who's really fleshed out and has a lot of, you know, deepness to her, and uh, and a lot of this has to do with the fact that you know the feminist ideals that are really becoming prevalent in what people want out of female characters and media and how they're portrayed like there's these expectations now about about what female characters be they don't want them to be archetypical they want them to be you know these these types of very strong independent characters and you have that in 11 in this show and so i think there's a kind of this really odd juxtaposition between what 11's um, uh, you know, spot was on this show as this incredibly awesome, 
you know, and she was patterned after Mad Max or um, uh, Charlize Theron and Mad Max Fury Road. Like that's why she had the hair shaved. Like that was the inspiration behind that. Like that type of character is something that really resonated well, and I think is what made Mad Max kind of the modern, you know, classic of its time. And people wanted that out of the Winona Ryder. They wanted to see more of what she was like as a person and, and not just this kind of person who was doing everything she can, this typical, oh, I got to do everything I can to find my son because that's been seen a lot before. And I just, I kind of feel like you can't be asking for the same out of every character uh, in, in a television series. Everybody has to play their roles to an extent. Um, I hate to make the baseball analogy, but, you know, someone's got to be a Ben Zober, somebody's got to be... Uh, a lefty specialist somebody can be chris bryant but you know you know you have to have the right pieces in order to make the entire show work and you know there's great growth room for her next next season could be a huge winona Ryder type you know season like it could be her as a focal point of all this because she'd gone through so much um but it's like i think people attacking her like her character and the way she was portrayed i think it was a bit too much uh, a lot, a lot, kind of too much projection about what they hope to get out of it. I'm hoping next season that it's just exclusively focused on um, the non, uh, the Wheeler family members, mostly the dad and the little sister, who just were were garbage in this show, and it seemed <laughs> like the least, you know, the least understandable people on earth just like oh my kids in the basement i didn't even know we had a basement to this house um but yeah i i agree i think tim with everything that you said there i think i would throw in that um you know for me that the maybe some of the weakest moments of the show were when um the joyce byers winona Ryder character were was out in the world doing things that just like, why would she be doing that? Like the mental breakdown stuff was actually, it seemed like really captivating watching her hang with Christmas lights. Like that was really cool. That was a really like captivating moment. I was in, I felt like I was in with her, like descent into madness. And then she's like, you know, out at, um, out at the, uh, like looking for Eleven's mom. And it, it felt like she was along for the ride there and, and acting in ways that didn't make a ton of sense for her character. And it kind of brought me out of the show. So I think, you know, the, where the show tried to have it, it's cake and eat it too, were some of the moments when it was the, maybe the least successful, which is still, I mean, we're talking about eight episodes that were jam packed with, you know, every, everything was pushing the plot forward. Everything was pushing the characters forward. There wasn't really a wasted moment. Um, it was very, very well crafted. Um, so I, that's sort of nitpicking. Um, and I think, you know, I think to to your other point, Tim, there's, you know, maybe the show doesn't pass the Bechdel test or something like that. I don't think, I, I mean, I think there's a reason to stop and see when you're enjoying something that seems to be, you know, fitting in a status quo. There's a reason to stop and think like, is there something I'm missing here? Is this like, is, is there something that's, not being represented here that maybe should be or is that that is hurt because it's not represented but that's not the fault of this show or any particular individual media so i don't i think there is a limited mileage you can get and um sort of going uh too deep into that type of criticism yeah and 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 what's interesting is we're talking about this literally i think a day or two after the announcement that 
the upcoming season of Jessica Jones, all the episodes will be directed by women. And you want to talk about like a real powerful female character in a show that, of course, Netflix is putting up, right? And so I, I feel that the stories itself, themselves, I should say, really lend themselves to being more standalone than trying to be referential to what you, like I said, expecting certain things out of characters when instead they're trying to present it in a way where it's like, no, this is how it is. You, you don't have to be trying to project what you think is going to happen to these guys. And that's why I'm so excited for season two is because I really don't know where they can go from here. I understand that there's really there's some really great cliffhangers about this, but there are some really interesting things that they can do going forward uh, for season two. And they supposedly have a lot of this written out already. They, they are so supposedly like years, seasons down the road with what they want to do. And if that's the case, I, I'm really excited to see how they flesh this all out because this could really be a series that at the end of the, you know, at the end of the Netflix canon, like it could be perhaps the most influential outside of maybe House of Cards because I th maybe Orange is the New Black, which is in a different category altogether. You want to talk about passing the Bechdel test. Uh, like it could be in that canon of the, the most influential shows that Netflix has put out and how it really actually did change the medium of, of television in a way. Yeah, I think that's actually a good opportunity to, to ask. What do you guys think What for season two? What are your expectations? What are your hopes? What are your fears? Chris, why don't you start? Um, I'm, as someone that's been burned by other shows, uh, thinking of the podcast we did earlier this year, uh, X-Files, um, I really hope they just don't ruin something I love. <laughs> um, um, I, again, I, like Tim said, I'm not sure where they could go. Um, I was satisfied with the ending of the first season, and I think I would have been satisfied if they didn't do another season, because it was really good, um. I'm not sure it needs to needed to have a second one. I'm happy they're doing one, um, but yeah, I'm not sure where they could go without. I mean, it would be fun if they went an entirely different direction where none of the characters are back in it. Um, but then it wouldn't. I don't know. It would. I think it would lose a lot of its following um, because the characters are really what made the show. I mean, the storyline was good and fun, but those actors and those kids and um, you know, like, how can you forget Tommy H, the, the kind of jerk best friend, um, of Steve. I had to look up his name cause I absolutely forgot who he was. But, Tommy, Tommy um, and his girlfriend are the stars of the next season. And it's just going to be about them making fun of all the other characters <laughs> for looking so damaged. Yeah. Well, the, um, the, 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 was it the Walson, the, the Muppet? Um, old men. Yeah, who Statler and Waldorf. Yeah, Statler and Waldorf. Yeah, exactly. Correct. That's that's what their role is going to be. So, Tim, do you have hopes, fears, dreams for season two? So, uh, I hope that the majority of it takes place in the upside down because so they're they're setting it a year later so that they can account for the kids growing up, which I think is a just awesome. That that's good foresight on their part. Um. But I really do hope there is more upside down to it because really, like, to me, that part 
while it was really, you know, you kind of got bits and pieces of it before it really took hold in the last couple of episodes, I, I have a feeling that, the, you know, the, the cat's let out of the bag here. Like, they have, they have to go in and actually be a part. Like, the kids have to be in the Upside Down at some point, right? I have this feeling that Mike is just going to, you know, and his 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 love for Eleven is just going to be like, I need to go find her. I need to know where she is. And there's a good chunk of this that's going to take place in it. I think that's going to be really cool. I hope that happens. I don't know if it will happen, but I hope that happens. Um, and I don't know if they're going to Ross and Rachel. Um, <laughs> if they're, you know, with, with, uh, um, the, uh, the, the, like you talked about the, the romantic part of this, not with a uh, 11 and Mike, um, Nancy and but Jonathan. with, but with Nancy, yeah, Nancy and John, it's like, I, I think that, I think that's kind of obvious. Like they're going to do that at some point that there's just going to be something that, that Steve does. That's just gonna make it almost too easy for Nancy to do it. Um, but I I think that that's another thing. I think there's going to be more romantic things because, so it's funny. We talked about the wonder years earlier. One of the things that kind of hampered what the wonder years wanted to become as all the kids got older on that show was like the adolescence themes and like the idea of, of what high school kids do and what people going into the college do. Like they couldn't really talk about that at 8 PM in prime time. You know, it, it wasn't that type of show. They couldn't really get to the point where they're having frank conversations about that. You know, that's also, you know, 25 years ago almost. And so like, what's that going to look like? These kids are obviously growing up. Obviously, the Mike and Eleven thing, like, is that going to be still kind of like a puppy dog romance or is there going to be something that, that happens from that down the road? But, um, you know, that's 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 another thing. But my final thing is, like, how big does the scope of the involvement of the U.S. government get and whether that is going to be like, obviously, that part has to be contained somehow, like there has to be some type of. You know, like that's kind of brushed aside in ET almost. Like, oh, they're at the end, and then there's keys coming at the end and chasing down everybody at the spaceship when ET goes. Sorry, spoiler alert. Um, but like, I, I just, I kind of wonder where they go from there. Matthew Modine was so good, so good in this season uh, as as Doctor Brenner. It's it's really hard for me to see how they can go from there. Like he was an incredible, incredible piece of this. He was one of the best villains on a TV show that I can recall, and I really hope they, like you said, with the X Files, like they didn't know what to do at some point. And I think um, I think that was even mentioned by Vince at some point where the the writing kind of got a bit too much, and he had to kind of exercise his. Uh, his, his writing out a little bit and, and focus it on other parts of the series. So I, I don't think that's going to happen though, because the Duffers have 100% creative control over this. Obviously the, the, the results have been great. And so I have a lot of, I have a lot of faith that it's going to stay on the story and that it's not going to stray too far. Uh, like, like to bring up another Netflix show, like season two of house of cards did when it almost jumped the shark in the first 45 minutes of season two. So it's it's it is a it's a it's a tough line to toe, but I, I have more faith that they'll be able to do it because they already know. Like I said, they really have an idea of where they want the story to go. Yeah, um, 
I, I definitely agree. Um, looking into the the government aspect of it, like the what is it, the Hawking's Laboratory, Na- Hawking's last National Laboratory, where the the gate is opened um, or the portal. Um, yeah, that's not closed, and, folks. That's not yeah, even no. remotely closed. <laughs> not at all. And I think the I think the next season has to focus on the upside down. Um, you know, we didn't really get to see a ton of it. We saw what the nasty slug crawling out of Barb's mouth. Yeah, you guys are like forgetting that whenever something goes from being a mystery to being fully exposed, it stops being cool. Yeah, uh, but I think there's more mystery there. That's my whole thing. Like, I don't, I don't think the upside down can be too much of a mystery. Like, they could do a slow unraveling, like they did this season, and maybe there's more fleshed out parts of it. Um, but like, Will spitting up the slug in the last scene of the of the season finale, like, there's got to be something to that, right? Like, yeah. There's got to be way more to it. Well, because you know the one thing that's true about all of those '80s um, movies that are, and especially the horror movies that are, are referenced throughout the show, is that the sequels are way better because they dive a lot deeper into what. Oh, that's such a cheap shot, Tyler. Oh my god. <laughs> um, so, but it was really funny that we bring this up because the thing I had watched it a couple of nights ago at a friend's house. It was the first time I'd seen it in years, and like, what was so interesting about a lot of those movies that they kind of they leave it on a cliffhanger a lot of the times, where you're not really sure about like what would happen right after the screen goes to black, right? And so, I think in a TV series, what what Chris is talking about, yeah, that's one hundred percent something that could happen is. You go beyond that point, it's like, well, what else can you do? How can you up the ante? Um, like I said, I have faith. I think I think the upside down is going to be a focal point, but I don't think it's going to be like the entire show is going to take place in it. But I think there's going to be much more of an interaction between it instead of like, you know, five or ten mm-hmm. minutes or like a direct line to Will, so to speak. I think there's way more to explore and, and what the implications are going to be. Yeah, I think that's fair, I, and I, I was absolutely taking a cheap shot. But I do think also that um, you know one of the one of the struggles with especially a mythology building show is there's comes a point where there's no way to win if you're the creator of the show. If you're building the mythology, there's going to be people who are like, well, in season one, episode four the wind was blowing this way, but in season two, episode eight, it was blowing that way. There's no way that can happen based on the physics of this universe. And once you get into that level, you've lost half the audience and you're going to lose the other half. And to me, the perfect, the perfect solution to season two would be to find not the, you know, not the Spielberg, Stephen King, John Carpenter references and, and owning them, but like, you know, just to the left, maybe it's a little bit more Wes Craven or maybe it's a little bit more Joe Dante. Just like find something else that you can that they can like really pick up the tone and own. And even if it were more anthology, like you know, slightly different characters in the same town, or Nancy Mo- Nancy goes to college, and here's this weird shit that's going on there. Like things like that, I feel like could be an opportunity to disappoint a ton of people, but also to um, do something unexpected in a way that could be true to the spirit of the show and the spirit of, um, you know, what we all loved about the show that it might lose everybody if they do it. But if they, 
uh, I mean, one of the touch points for this show that I personally projected onto it through constantly and I would never deign to say was uh, purposeful is the, the old um, late 80s, ni- early 90s kids show, Erie, Indiana, which is set in oh, Indiana. Excellent. Probably the main reason. It's from the brain of Joe Dante, who is very, very Spielberg-influenced. And it's just like a kid in a small Indiana town who sees a bunch of weird junk happen every week. And there's not really any through line other than it's the same kid who's witnessing it. And something like that, like it has limited mileage. There's only so much you can do with it. It would only be fulfilling to a small number of um, open-minded fans. <laughs> so I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish it on Netflix's shareholders. The Baber um, boys would love it. But yeah, we, I would be here for season two if it was... So we're going to talk about how season two of Stranger Things was exactly like Gremlins 2, The New Batch. Oh my god. <laughs> oh god, I can't even imagine that. So we actually just want you to make a completely different movie, or a completely different season than the first season. Um, oh god, that would be incredible. It would be a great, it would be a great like test of the... Um, the reaction that people would have in a in a television series that was so well beloved that would that would yeah that would be like a great sociological yeah. experience. Right, it seems like these Duffer else. brothers are still young enough that they could completely ruin their career with a move like that. <laughs> so I wouldn't really wish that on them. But yeah, I was thinking if you're listening, could, guys. Yeah, I was thinking <laughs> they could just, if you're listening to this. Yeah, season two is just going to be Mike and Eleven recreating uh, the movie War Games. Wow. Yeah, see, that seems... I mean, Mike does have the whole Mike Matthew Broderick thing going on. Yeah. But that's not... All right, that's cool. All right. <laughs> All right, so I have one question I want to ask you guys. So, you know, Will, Will of course, spits up the, the slug at the end and then goes back and has Christmas dinner. So there's the so there's a lot of references we've talked about a lot, but a lot of them is alien. Aliens, you know, the, the face hugger-like yep. face of, like... Does anybody think Will's going to go John Hurt on us at dinner? And that's the beginning of season two. Oh, man, they just oh, kill him. <laughs> oh, that would be because, because something else. You want to talk about, like, the catalyst? Like, okay, so it plays off of the idea that Will was dead. So that was an entire arc. You want to talk about fleshing out Winona Ryder? Well, how about watching her son die in front of her? Like, <laughs> like literally, guys, like, is that in play? Like, is that how this thing is going to start? Because that is almost way too ominous. Like, I mean, it's not obvious, but that's almost yeah. way too ominous to start out the season like I that. think that's a lot more mean than my suggestion that they just okay. completely go <laughs> off the deep end in the other Okay, all right. Um, by, by the way, I wanted to bring it up because of the fact that um, um, we... So they've been very good about releasing tidbits of what strange uh, stranger things season two is going to have so there's going to be nine episodes and they did a really cool jo- uh, job of uh, titling the episodes too which you don't really see too much in tv today i thought that was really cool how they did that they made them significant titles and they all have something big to them normally in regards to the show so the titles that are coming up are mad max the boy who came back to life the pumpkin patch the palace the storm the Polywog, the Secret Cabin, the Brain, and the Lost Brother. All right, the boy who came back to life is kind of why I thought 
the the whole will thing at dinner like that could be something because he actually could come back to life so to speak um but like is there anything like when you guys saw that stuff like was there anything that kind of jumped out to you like was there something that was like hmm i wonder if it could be this i wonder if it could be that did you draw anything from these titles well, I think um, hearing those titles, the thing I think is it's probably going to focus on Barb's family and she's going to have a brother who's way more successful and cool. And that's why nobody Sweet. cares that she's dead. Um, wow. So just replacing her right away with her much more successful brother. Yeah. Like, uh, like Corey and Step by Step, like just come <laughs> in and be the cool one and knock yeah. out half the cast. No, I think um, – I mean, I think the thing about season one's ending, and especially that Will scene that you're talking about, like, to me, the thing that that did really well was the John Carpenter thing, the Stephen King thing of, like, end with a, oh, holy crap, that's so gross, that's so crazy, how is this going to play out? And yeah. and that works out, that works so much better as a cliffhanger. So on the one hand, if it plays out with he dies immediately, that would honestly fulfill the cliffhanger aspect really well and set something up. But... You know, if it just like season two goes on and nobody mentions it and nobody ever says anything about it, and then you like season two ends and he throws up another slug, like that would be just as cool. Um, right. And I think what you're saying, the one thing I will say about hearing those uh, titles is it does sound like both of you guys are probably going to be right. There's going to be a lot more upside down. Maybe instead of Matthew Modine, it'll be um, the guy from Adventures in Babysitting. um and then oh there was something else i was like oh what's the better cliffhanger the slug or the egos (laughs) um the slug okay (laughs) yeah egos are still around i mean you could get them anywhere okay 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 so you're talking about scarcity that's that's that's, (laughs) like i mean they could be doing that for the next 45 years it could be a, a 2016 Will drop. There's supposedly, I think, I think there was a related like sales boost in Egos from this show. By the way, I'm pretty sure they skyrocketed, or they didn't skyrocket, but they went up in sales after this show came out. I believe it. Like um, the Reese's Pieces with the ET. That's yeah. right, and the Reese's Pieces. Good call. Yeah. Um, I I think with the second season, I think um some of the older characters might come into play more. Like I think Jim Hopper. Um, you know, they kind Another of s- great performance is, yeah. is Jim oh, Hopper. God. I yeah. mean, he was David Harbor is like far and away the star of the like the breakout star. I think of this show as much as the kids are. Like David Harbor's really good in this show. Yeah, um, and then I think that um, Jonathan Byers, I, you know, he had a lot of screen time in the first season, and I think he really did a good job. Um, I could see, you know, if if Will isn't a strong character in the second season. Like, let's say he does go all alien and um, pop a slug snake thing out of his chest, whatever that creature was, um, and die, you know, then I, I, I think they could really make Jonathan a bigger um, story in the second one, which would definitely put um, be, put some drama into the whole Nancy-Steve romance. Yeah. Does anybody think Will's like expendable at this point? I think he was expendable in season one. Yeah, <laughs> but like, is he expendable again? Like, is he just a catalyst for a story? Yeah, he's like Kenny in South Park, and you just yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. I mean, I think that would be. I think if something like that were to happen with one of the kids, it would, it would be 
really hard for the any of them, not just Will. It would be really hard for it to not feel like the sequel syndrome of just raising the stakes by doing something slightly worse to the same characters. So it would be hard to do that in a way that um, didn't feel completely forced. Which isn't to say, I mean, it, honestly, if any of this stuff that we've been talking about happens, we did say spoilers, we do not have scripts for season two. So if we've spoiled any of that, we apologize. Um, but I want uh, rights to this, so we need to copyright this, trademark it or whatever. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, on that note, guys, I think uh, we can wrap up. Um, <laughs> but this was a blast. Uh, definitely everyone check out Stranger Things. Chris, is there anything else that you think, if you like, if people like Stranger Things, that they absolutely need to check out next on their Netflix queue? Yeah, I mean, it has nothing to do with Stranger Things, but um, if they've seen, like, Daredevil and Jessica Jones, um, sorry, a cat just jumped on my computer. Um, if they've seen both of those, then definitely check out Luke Cage. It was phenomenal. Um, and then the soundtrack on Spotify is also real good. To the soundtrack to Stranger Things? To Luke Cage. Oh, both. <laughs> oh, yeah. I have to bring that up because you brought that up just in just, but there is a really cool, if you guys are vinyl heads, there's a limited edition... Stranger Things four disc vinyl set that's coming out in November. Oh wow! And it's it's supposed to be like I'm I have to find a way to get it, but I'm gonna get it because um, it looks awesome. And um, but that's something to keep in mind if you guys were like because a lot of people talked about the music in this show. Um, Modern Englishes I met with you made it back into my Spotify list because of this show, and it has not left since. Um, and so there's some great songs, great original, really Tangerine Dream-esque music to it. And so that's yeah, another the, thing I wanted to The make score sure. is... It, it's incredible. Really, yeah. It's very... Like it should win an Emmy. Was, it really yeah, it should. It's fantastic. So. All right. Thanks, guys. And um, everyone check out Tim and Chris on the Effectively Loud Facebook group, on Twitter, at the handles that... Uh, I wrote down and don't have. So, Tim, why don't you repeat yours? At Mr. Tim Livingston. Uh, and Chris? At CJ Baber 44. Same as my AIM. <laughs> oh, that's so great. Oh, that's so great. And I'm at Tyler's Notes. And we will catch you back here uh, four months after season two. <laughs> I feel like the one chat, the one problem with this show coming out on Netflix is there's no way for there to be a director's commentary. Yeah, and yeah, that's really thing. That's actually interesting. We didn't even talk about it. like Netflix di distribution is Netflix. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, I w I didn't want to burst your bubble, Chris, but uh, the um the like Netflix doesn't release like famously does not release ratings for their shows, but they did right. uh, at some point at the end of September and. Like the only thing that they've put out that's got more viewers than Stranger Things is Luke Cage. Oh, yes. yeah. <laughs> well, that's good because it is and, fantastic. <laughs> they, and on that same release, they said that they made two billion dollars in profits alone in the in the in the quarter that Stranger Things came out, basically wow. because Stranger Things came out. So, if anybody wants to know why Netflix is moving away from hosting movies and doing their own. <laughs> television distribution this is why that 
though raises the specter of if this has been an insanely profitable, you know, low budget risk for Netflix, then 80 sequel syndrome is all the more likely. This big studio is going to come in and demand more, more, more. And it's gonna like it's gonna not just gonna be Will that dies. It's gonna be Will's actually a clone, and his clone dies. It's gonna be yeah. everything. That, yeah. that being said, like I, I just don't think they're gonna have that much involvement. Like I just don't see. Yeah, it. I think I think that's probably true. That's it's not been their mo. They've had successful shows, and they've been good about letting the creator go yeah. their own way. Like the main reason they're on the on Netflix at all is because of the full autonomy. Like right. Netflix doesn't want any involvement. Like um, we didn't even bring it up, but they. Um, they wanted to do it, the the remake that's coming out next year. They got turned down for it, and so they said, "Okay, we're going to do Stranger Things instead." <laughs> oh, wow. And the kid that's playing Mike is playing the kid in it. That is going to be far too appropriate. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah. Wow. So go go figure, man. It's it's weird how all this works out. So, man, awesome. And uh, we went through that whole thing without talking about. Um, oh my gosh. I'm blanking on his name now. Don't leave this in, Ken. The kid <laughs> with the... Um, oh, yeah, the, the cranial... Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, Dustin's awesome. Yeah, Dustin. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. who I imagine we'll be seeing a lot of him um, at Halloween when everyone's dressing like him. Yeah. Well, I think... Um, yeah, Dustin and Lucas were... Really good characters. I mean, I think the chemistry of the cast is, you were right, Chris, that is the thing that makes the show what it is. Yeah, it was excellent. Well, it just, I mean, it it, it reminded me of, um, you know, like when we would ride bikes in Pennsylvania, like the only time we really could in a town where there was houses because we lived in the country. Yeah, Tim, we, we grew up, you think Sonoma's in the middle of nowhere. We didn't even have in, in, a wine industry to support our little... There, there you- there, there you go. <laughs> yeah, uh, Walmart in 2016 still 30 miles away. 